Well, in the fall of 2017 and the spring of 2018, uh, we Marie Kondoed our whole house. We, uh, if you're not familiar with Marie Kondo, we went to, or I went to, every single thing that we owned. And I literally mean everything that was in every drawer, every piece of clothing, every sock. I kid you not, held it up and asked, does this serve a purpose? Do we need it? Anything that didn't went into the basement. We put it in a big pile. We sold about 70% of everything that we owned. We bought some stuff that we needed. We gave away a lot of stuff and helped some people, sold some stuff and pitched a lot of stuff. It was an awesome thing. But you want to know what the hardest thing out of all of that to go through and try to decide what are you going to keep, what are you going to pitch? Kids' books. Kids' books. Because I have, I have all of these kids' books with all of these memories of where I was reading these books. And remember that scene from uh, Christmas Vacation where Chevy Chase goes up to the attic and he's sitting there watching the movies ball? That was me when I piled up all of these books and I'm like, which ones are we going to pitch? Which ones are we going to keep? I'm literally thinking about where we were and what I was reading. Now, what I did is I came up with my, my top list, my books that you absolutely cannot throw away under any circumstances, these are what I consider the classics. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you each of these books, and you tell me if they're a keeper or not. Okay? You ready? Here we go. Very first one, Green Eggs and Ham. Is that a keeper? Absolutely, right? You can't get rid of Green Eggs and Ham, said Sam I Am. It's a classic. Here's another one. Do you keep it or get rid of it? Oh, yeah, you, you know, you give a mouse a cookie, right? If you give a mouse a cookie, what's going to happen? He's going to want a glass of milk. And if you, then, you give him a glass of milk, what's he going to ask for? He's going to ask for a straw. And straws are bad for the environment. Get rid of the book, okay? <laughs> How about this book? Love You Forever. What sadistic mind wrote this book? Read it to my kids. What's wrong, Dad? Nothing. Nothing's wrong. I love you so much. And when you're old, I'm going to get creepy and come across town and sneak into your window and hold you up and tell you. Anyway, oh, man. How about this book? Is this a keeper or not? Five Little Monkeys. You can't get rid of five little monkeys jumping on the bed. Why? One fell off and what? Bumped his head. Then Mama called the doctor, and the doctor said... A little frightening, a little, little, little frightening. Now, here is my all-time favorite kid's book ever, right here. Horton Hatches the Egg. Now, some of you are awing, and you've never read the book. doesn't get a lot of love by people. It should get a lot of love because of the message. And so I just know that a lot of you have never read Horton Hatches the Egg. So what we're going to do right now is I need you to brush your teeth, Get your jammies on. I need everybody to pee-pee, okay? And I'm going to read you a part of Horton Hatches the Egg. You ready? And I'm not going to skip any pages, I promise. Here we go. Horton Hatches an Egg. Side Maisie, a lazy bird hatching an egg. I'm tired and I'm bored and I've kinks in my leg from sitting, just sitting here day after day. It's work how I hate it. I'd much rather play. I'd take a vacation, fly off for a rest. If I could find someone to stay on my nest, if I could find someone, I'd fly away free. Then Horton the elephant passed by the tree. 
Well, hello, called the lazy bird, smiling her best. You've got nothing to do, and I do need a rest. Would you like to sit on the egg in my nest? Very well, said the elephant, since you insist. You want a vacation? Go fly off and take it. I'll sit on your egg and try not to break it. I'll stay and be faithful. I mean what I say, and toodle-doo, sang Maisie and fluttered away. Some of you know what that feels like. Then tenderly, carefully, gently, he crept up the trunk to the nest where the little egg slept. Then Horton, the elephant, smiled. Now that's that. And he sat, and he sat, and he sat, and he sat. And he sat all day, and he kept the egg warm, and he sat all that night through a terrible storm. It poured, and it lightened. It thundered, it rumbled. This isn't much fun, the poor elephant grumbled. I wish you'd come back because I'm cold and I'm wet. I hope that Maisie Bird doesn't forget. But Maisie by this time was far beyond reach, enjoying the sunshine way off in Palm Beach and having such fun, such a wonderful rest, decided she'd never go back to her nest. So Horton kept sitting there day after day. And soon it was autumn. The leaves blew away, and then came the winter, the snow and the sleet, and the icicles hung from his trunk and his feet, but Horton kept sitting and said with his teeth, I'll stay on this egg, and I won't let it freeze. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant, an elephant's faithful 100%. No matter what happens, this egg must be tended, but poor Horton's trouble were far, far from ended. For while Horton sat there so faithful, so kind, three hunters came sneaking up softly behind. He heard the men's footsteps. He turned with a start. The three hunters were aiming right straight at his heart. Did he run? He did not. Horton, he stayed on that nest. He held his head high, and he threw out his chest, and he looked at the hunters as much as to say, shoot if you must, but I won't run away. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant, and elephants faithful 100%. We're continuing a series today that we're calling Asking for a Friend. How many of us have ever asked a question for a friend, right? You have questions about something, you don't want to admit that it's really you asking the question. The question I want to ask today is, I have a friend who's not very good at relationships, I have a friend that when he looks at his relationships, when she looks at her family, when she looks at her friendships, she knows that they could be more. She knows that those bonds could be stronger, but they're not. So she's wondering, what do I do if my friend is not very good at relationships? And so have you ever noticed that God's greatest truths always come through a story? And so we're going to read a story today, the first chapter of the book of Ruth, and it begins. In the days when the judges rule. Have you ever heard a story, you know, how, how many of stories begin how? How do stories usually begin? A long time ago, far, far away. Right? And what this story is sets the context. The context of the story is it's the period of the judges. The judges in Hebrew is the word shofetz which is the Hebrew word for, for thugs. They are people who, when God's people get in trouble, they turn to Samson, they turn to Deborah, who they rise up 
and they murder the enemies, and everybody lives at peace again. So this is a terrible time in which to live. They didn't have a king yet, and Moses was gone. It's this in-between period when, the, when people would come over and just take over God's people and do terrible things to them, and these military rulers, the judges, the chauffettes, would raise up and beat them back. It was during this time that it says that there was a famine in the land. So not only was there political chaos, not only did people think that they were going to die on a regular basis, they couldn't eat. There was a famine. So the story says, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Can you see this map behind me right here? Judah is this area right here. And you, Bethlehem, this is where Jesus came down from the Sea of Galilee up here, went over to Jericho, went across. Hundreds of years later, this couple now lives in Bethlehem. Bethlehem in, in Hebrew means the house of bread. This area right here called Lower Galilee, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus called it the ambition of nature. I've walked the soil. It is so rich. Like, I don't know how many of you have people in your family like, it doesn't matter what they do, they can kill a, hill, they, they can kill a house plant. Like, that's me, right? Like, what happened? I watered it, so it died, okay? It died. That's what happens when I, you ask me to take care of the plants. They die. And so this area, man, it doesn't matter what you do. You can grow anything there, but there was a famine. And so the house of bread became the house of emptiness. And they were like, what are we going to do? And what they did is they went over to the enemies, the Moabites, the people that lived across the Dead Sea over there, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and down here, the Edom, um, Edomites. Basically, the enemies of God's people. They were like, that's the only way we're going to be able to live is that we're going to have to go over to Moab. It was a terrible time in this couple's life. And then it says, the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to Moab and they lived there. During the time of the judges, during the time of murderous, rapacious killing, they went to Moab because they couldn't even eat. Now, the story says, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, while they were living in a foreign land, died. And she was left with two sons. They turned around and married Moabite women, which was forbidden. You're not allowed to do that. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there 10 years, both Malon and Kilion died. Her two sons died. Her husband died. 10 years later, both of her son dies. And now she's left without her two sons and her husband. And so the family tree looks like this. If you're following the story, there's Elimelech, who's married to Naomi, has two sons, Malon and Kilion. He turns around and dies. Malon dies, Kilion dies, and Naomi is married with these two, or has these two foreign-born women, the Moabites, 
the enemies of God's people, looking at them like, what am I going to do with you? To understand the absolute devastation that Naomi went through, you have to understand what is Naomi's age. She was um, 15 when she was married, which was normal back in Israel and in Kentucky and New Jersey. That's normal. <laughs> so she's 15. She gets married. Uh, she has two sons that were roughly probably 16 to 18 in age, and they lived 10 years in Moab, and so Naomi is 40, year, 40 years old. And so you're thinking to yourself, you're in the prime of your life. This is awesome. If you live in the United States in the 21st century. I was reading this week one um, social historian who's an expert on ancient um, anthropology, and he was citing a study of ancient Rome, the city of Rome. In the city of ancient Rome, one-third of those who survived the first year of life were dead by year six. Imagine a third of the women here giving birth by age six, all of the, one-third of the children being dead. And then nearly 60% of those survivors, of the two-thirds that survived, 60% of those survivors had died by age 16. And then by age 26, 75% of those were dead. And then by age 46, 90% of those were dead. In other words, what were the prospects for Naomi? All of her friends were dead. All of her peers are gone. And she has these two women. Her life was over. She's husbandless. She has no sons. And that may not seem like that big of a deal because if you're a 40-year-old woman here in the United States and you're not married and you don't have two sons, you can have an amazing life. But if you're 40 years old in the ancient world and you don't have a husband and you don't have sons to protect you, you're going to either turn into a prostitute or you're going to turn into a beggar. That's how bad and evil that culture was at that time. And so it says in verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing for them back in Israel, she's in Moab, no more sons, no more husbands, these two Moabite women, she hears that the famine stopped, that they had a bumper crop, the Lord has provided. She's like, I'm going to go back home. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land. Will, can you put the map back up? I just want you to understand, if she takes the route, Jesus comes down and, and, and goes on the road, tells the story about going on the road to Jericho. What happens on the road to Jericho? Remember the story? Right? Bandits come and grab the guy and beat him to death. Barely hanging on, he goes and he takes him to an inn and says, I'm going to give you some cash. I want you to take care of this guy. Now, Naomi and her two daughters have to go back through this area to get over to Bethlehem. In other words, Naomi knows that if she heads back by herself without a husband and without two sons, that she and her two daughters are going to be raped and murdered three miles outside of town. 
And so she says, in verse 8, go back, each of you, to your, own, to your own mother's home. You don't have to do this with me. May the Lord show you, and then she uses the word kindness, which is the theme of the book, which is the heart of God, which is the whole reason we're talking about this today. She says, may the Lord show you, in Hebrew, it's hased. May the Lord show you chesed, and as you have shown chesed to your dead and to me. Chesed in Hebrew means faithfulness, persistent loving kindness. I'm going to stick with you. Now, here's the reason the book of Ruth was written. We're not very good at being faithful. Now, I'm not talking about just like faithful in marriage. I'm talking about being showing chesed in relationships with people, friendships. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to be there for you. You can count on me. I'm going to be there in your corner. God, when the prophet Isaiah was talking about human nature, what we're like, all people are like grass. All human chesed is like the flowers of the field. In other words, I don't know how many of you, you'll go to the, you'll go to the, uh, what's the place where you go and get flowers? What's that place called? Help me out. The, not the florist. What's the, the outside place? Outside flowers. The nursery. Nursery. Make sure you're awake. Go to the nursery. You plant some flowers. You put them there. And it's nine, 90 degrees this week. And if you don't go out for two days and water those flowers, what's going to happen? They're going to be dead. They're done. My wife will text me. Did you water the flowers? <laughs> no, they're dead. They're, sorry, they're dead. They're DOA, sorry. And but God is like, that's what human nature is like. Human nature is I have a friendship with you and I will be done with you in two days. I'm married to you. You're not meeting my needs. I am done with you. Have a problem in a relationship? I'm not going to show you any said at all, any faithfulness, any sticking with you. I'm going to use you up, get what I need, and I'm going to go on to the next person. That's what our culture is like. That's what human nature has always been like. Hosea says, what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your hesed is like the morning mist. Go out in the morning, the grass is wet, come back two hours later, and it's gone. Like the early dew that disappears. And so verse 9, look at this. It says, Naomi's talking to her daughters, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Remember, this is an ancient culture. And so it's like the only way they're going to be able to live is you've got to have a husband. May, may the Lord show you kindness and find, help you find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with our people, with you to your people. Two daughters like, no, 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 we're sticking with you. And then Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? And then Orpah was like, good point. Peace out. Good luck, Naomi. I didn't even really know you that well. I'm going home. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Man, we read this in the 21st century. We're like, screw your sons. I don't need your sons. 
I'll be just fine without your sons. I don't need your, I don't need a husband. I can make it just fine. Not then. You'd be dead. No, my daughters is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this they wept aloud and Orpah said, yeah, you're right, I'm out of here. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth, look at this image. Ruth clung to her. That's hesed. That's faithfulness. That's what we're missing in our relationships. Clung to her. Looks at Naomi. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people. Go back to her. And Ruth is holding on to Naomi and said, don't urge me to leave you to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. When we read Scripture, especially when we read the, the book of Ruth, we're asked, who do you want to be? Because inevitably, when we read Scripture, what inevitably comes to mind is this spotty track record that all of us have. This transient nature of serial relationships that we have. And so I see two questions that this book raises for us in the 21st century. The first is simply, are we faithful? Are you faithful to your wife? Are you faithful to your husband? Are you faithful to your parents? Are you faithful to your kids? Is there ever a situation that's going to come down the pike where you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm sorry. Some of you did not experience hased in your family. And no one needs to tell you the long-term effects of not feeling like there was someone in your corner. I don't care what crap comes along. I'm with you. You matter. Some of you have brought and welcomed into your families. One of the things I love about our church, you've welcomed into your family some children who didn't experience that from their family of origin. For the very first time, they're experiencing, wait a minute, you're not getting rid of me just because I smelled something on the, you're not getting rid, because, oh. The bigger question is this. Are you willing to ask Jesus to help you to become a faithful person, even if you haven't been faithful? Even if you have a spotty track record? All of us go to Scripture, and we read it, and we're like, that's the standard? I'm terrible compared to that. I'll never forget listening to the founder of the franchise of Starbucks, um, Howard Schultz. He, he was talking, he was being interviewed, and he was talking about the early years when he almost gave up and quit. Uh, a lot of you that are in the room, you're entrepreneurs, uh, you've done, you started up businesses of your own, you know how hard it is in the early years before you become profitable. So he's being interviewed, and the person asked him, did you, ever, did you ever think about quitting? He was like, oh, yeah. He said, so the first year, I was out um, um, looking for venture capital to basically expand this business. And he said, I knew it wasn't going very well. My wife was eight months pregnant, and she was working full time 
and I wasn't drawing any salary in the business. And he said, my in-laws came and visited for the weekend. After breakfast one morning, uh, my father-in-law said, Howard, can we go for a walk? And on that walk, he said, sure. And on that walk, his father-in-law said, you know that my daughter is working full-time and she's eight months pregnant. You're going to have a baby in a month. Howard, what you have is a hobby. It's time to get a job. They went back to the house. He didn't say anything to his wife until they left, but then he sat down and said, I just want to tell you what your father said to me. And he's true. It's true. Schultz came home, told his wife exactly what he said, and you want to know what his wife said to him? We are not giving this up. I don't care what my dad says. I believe in you. And Schultz said, if she had told me, yeah, it's time, let's pack it in, there would be no Starbucks today. And many of you would cringe. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to find a story where there would be no Wawa. And you're like, what? What? No, God, no. Right? You know what? Every great relationship has a story like that. A story where your chesed is going to be tested. Every great marriage has stories like that. Every great friendship, every great family, no matter how unfaithful we have been in the past, we can change. The gospel promises that we make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of our lives. We can become like Ruth and be faithful because every single great relationship is built on a series of moments when imperfect people say to each other, yes, things are very difficult right now but I believe in you. I'm standing with you. I'm sticking with you. Where you go, I will go. You can count on me even when it's hard because I meant what I said and I said what I meant. A Christian husband, wife, brother, father, friend, coworker, neighbor, child, brother, sister, grandfather, grandmother, boyfriend and girlfriend is faithful 100%. Let's pray. Help us, God. No matter how spotty we are in our track record of friendships, to be the friend that we would want ourselves. To be the wife, to be the husband, to be the child, to be the aunt and the uncle and the cousin. God, we choose faithfulness. We choose the permanency of commitment in spite of hard times, in spite of difficulty, help us to experience Hesed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.